first glance, when we think about practical dating, uh, we, uh, it's easy to count ourselves out. Maybe you're in a time of, um, uh, some would say a time of singleness, a time of loneliness, but maybe you're in this time where you're not really dating or maybe you're uh, already in a relationship, you feel like you got dating on lock. I, uh, or maybe you're married and you're like, oh, well, that doesn't apply to us. I really, I want to urge you to really take in what we're going to be talking about today because this is going to be, uh, it's applicable to everybody no matter what area of life that you're in because you'll be able to pull the same kind of concepts that we're going to be talking about today and you'll be able to apply them within a, a, an ongoing relationship, a marriage, you're, you're, you can even apply some of this to friendships. And it's going to be some really practical advice here. And I, I want to start off with the idea that when it comes to the idea of romantic dating, you're looking for a companion to be your best friend for the rest of your life. That's really what marriage is, is looking for that kind of companion to be your best friend for the rest of your life. And so don't settle for somebody who, who would just make an okay acquaintance. You're looking for a best friend, not an uh, okay acquaintance. And I'll go as far to say uh, that so often because we're desperate, we don't look for a good friend, we just look for someone who's available. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so in, in, this, uh, in this talk today, I want us to really get a practical concept of dating and relationship. And I wanted to start off by, by sharing my first time in Christian dating. Like I've shared many times before, I was never raised in church. And before I gave my life to Christ, I did not have a healthy dating um, lifestyle. I, I think the longest I ever dated somebody before I gave my life to Christ was 30 days. I thought I was cursed. I just could never get past that 30-day mark. And, uh, and I, I did not have any idea of purity or anything like that. And when I gave my life to Christ, I remember having this moment of realizing that I was chasing after uh, a void. I was really, that's what I was really trying to find in relationships. I was looking for, to fill this void. And I took this time of, of singleness, this time to really work on my relationship with God. And then I felt like after, it was like two and a half years after becoming a Christian, I was, I was celibate. Uh, I really focused on my own self, my own character, my, my walk with God. And then I, I got to a point where I really felt like I was ready to get married. And I was 19. So, <laughs> so I, I, was really, I was really intentional about trying to do the right thing. And I wanted to do it the right way, the Christian way. And again, all I had as far as um, the idea of Christian dating was my told at church. And I found out really quickly that church people and Christians do dating really weird. Like super weird. Uncomfortably weird. And I, uh, I, got, I remember this, the first time that I felt like I had affection for somebody, that I liked somebody... I ended up, I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? And, I, and what was taught in church, like, uh, I remember that I really just got the tail end of, of being in a youth group, and 80% of youth groups just tell you to not have sex. If you, if, you ever, uh, if you ever do want to date someone, that you just need to ask leadership. It was like kind of a Pentecostal vibe, this church. So like, you just need to ask your pastor if you're ready to date. And it was all this mentality that you have to almost ask permission from a spiritual authority of whether or not you're ready to date. And again, I wasn't raised in church. I was like, oh, I didn't know it was supposed to be like that. And I ended up asking my senior pastor, hey, I like this girl. I want to ask her on a date. 
oh, well, what you need to do is ask her father first for, her, for his blessing to date her. I was like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, we're just going to go out. <laughs> I didn't know how to do all that. And so I asked to meet with, with the, this girl's dad, who happened to be a deacon. And let me just tell you that there's this, this internal building up of uncomfortability. And, and I go and meet him for coffee, and he doesn't know what I'm meeting him about. He thinks that I'm, I think he really thought that I was like asking him to be like a mentor or something. <laughs> thought I was asking him for like spiritual advice. And I was like, well, I wanted to ask you here and uh, really just to ask your blessing if I could ask your daughter on a date. And man, when I tell you that he got so mad, <laughs> I, I was taken back and surprised by how mad he was. Like, well, chill out. And, and he, was, he was almost confused saying, well, you need to talk to her about that. You shouldn't be asking me. I was like, well, <laughs> Well, that's what, that's what the pastor told me to do. And then now he's telling me, well, you need to ask her. I said, okay. And so I finally go to try to ask her. And, and I try to make it like this, you know, I was trying to be impressionable. Because it's like in church, they, they make it seem like you have to really be like a romantic, like straightforward man. So I got flowers and a card to ask her to go on a date with me. It's kind of like overkill. And I was just like, man, I feel like this is kind of taking a lot. <laughs> and it's like all these And I go and I show up to her house, I knock on the door and no one answered. I was like, this is really, really not working out. And long story short, she ended up receiving the flowers later at a later date. She talked to her leader, her spiritual leader, whatever that means. And, and she asked for permission and they said, well, you need to do it like this. And they were going off of this book, really popular book back in the day called Kissing, Dating, Goodbye. Anyone hear that book before? It's called Kissing, Dating, Goodbye. A lot of youth ministries applied this book in the way that it taught about dating. It's to you know, give you a concept, it, it teaches the idea that dating is not in the Bible. It's, it's only courting. You only court each other. And that the only way to really date each other is that, like, to keep purity is to go on group dates. And it gives this like just really weird way about going about dating. And that's why it's like kissing, dating, goodbye. And it's all about like pursuing purity and not dating. And then you just get married. And youth ministries like that. Like, yeah, they won't have sex. That's great. And, and so anyway, they were all using this book. And so they said, well, y'all need to just go on group dates. And I was like, man, this is, this is really complicated for me to just go on a date. And so now we have to get other people invited to go on this hangout, which was really supposed to be a date. So we have multiple people here. And I'm trying to get to know the girl that I was just wanting to ask on a date. But there's all these other people around. And so we don't really get to conversate with one, one another in a personal way because there's all these other people around. And so it's more just like a hangout where we happen to be there. And at this point, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm getting frustrated. And... And finally, uh, I get to a point where we go on one date, one date where it's me, her, and one other person. <laughs> we narrowed it down, and, and I'm thinking, it, and we have a conversation like, okay, I think we're ready to just go on a one-on-one -on -one date. And before we ever get to that point, she ends up telling me, you know what, I just feel like, because she was a year older than me, and she said, I feel like you're just too, you're too young. Like, you're younger than me, and I feel like you're too immature. And I was like, I waited all this time, <laughs> put out all this effort, 
for you to shoot me down? <laughs> said, yeah, I just think that you're too mature. Like maybe if, like as you get older, your brain will develop more and then you'll like, you'll be, be mature enough to date. Like just maybe wait, let's wait a year or two and then we'll try again. And may I tell you that at the time I was working full time, paying all of my own bills and had my own place while she was living with her parents and had no job. <laughs> Who was immature, right? <laughs> and I remember leaving that, this, this first experience of dating, of Christian dating and thinking, well, this is really, really weird. In fact, I would go as far to say it's incredibly impractical. I found out later that all of that philosophy of even like, oh, well, maybe you just need to get older, that it's, it's like this idea that Christian dating has put all of these, un, these weird rules without any, without any actual science. It's all these rules, all these ideas that, it's like, let me just say, if it rhymes, just because it rhymes doesn't mean that it's right. And Christians are really bad at that. We, we like things that rhyme and have kind of like a punchline. And we're like, oh, then it must be spiritual and true. When it's just, it's just not the case. And all of the, all of the advice that, that I was trying to take, all the advice that she, even she was trying to take, was from these weird systems. And even like that book, just, just recently, just a couple years ago, the author of that book ended up discontinuing it because he started having all of this hate mail from people who were married getting divorced saying that that way of dating ruined their life, that they never even got to know their spouse before dating. That was just the worst idea. It wasn't practical at all. And that even the author doesn't agree with it anymore. That he wrote that book when he was like 23. How, why are we taking all this advice from a 23-year-old? And... At the end of the day, he, he's actually already disowned his own faith. He's not even a Christian anymore. And all these Christians are using his dating method that he's disowned. And he doesn't even call himself a believer anymore. And he was getting divorced. And so my, all of that to say is like, let's take a step back. And as we jump into dating, let's kind of just look at it in a practical sense. Let's, let's clear off the table from of the the weird rules all of the weird ideas because even today what i found even with new believers people who have just given their life to christ that without it's almost like i don't even know how they learn so quickly how to be weird when it comes to dating it's like it's almost like this enigma it just like it just comes within you it's i don't know what it is but it's it's just weird and so i'm going to start off by talking about six tips on dating six tips on dating Christians should be setting the example in healthy dating. I really believe that Christians should be setting the example in healthy dating. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, So whether you eat or drink, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, in this scripture, Paul is talking about how some people believe that you shouldn't eat certain foods while some people thought everything was okay. And he, he gives this whole dialogue about how it's each up to their own conviction, meaning that you are able to use the discernment of the Holy Spirit to figure it out as long as it doesn't lead you to sin. And he says, and then he says, whatever you end up deciding to do, let it be for the glory of God. And so I, I feel like that's really comforting. To know that God, believe it or not, gives us a pretty good extent of free will. He gives us a, a, a good 
portion of free will. And if we're trying to give glory to God in our lives, that, it's almost like Paul is saying, if you're, if you're trying to do right, you won't be able to, you, it's hard to do wrong. And even mere food, how much more a, a meaningful relationship in our lives should we be able to give glory to God with? Y'all dig what I'm saying? So that's why we should take this aspect seriously. And look at what it also says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your own, your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So again, two ideas from this verse is that one, we have this enormous sense of freedom. And that with that freedom, we should serve one another in love. Even with dating, think about how many bad and toxic relationships you've had. And think about how many times you've been in a relationship and the other person got hurt. To know that if we were to apply some, some healthy practice to Christian dating, we would not, we, even when it was led to breaking up, that we could do it in an, a loving and amicable way, rather than being just as, as toxic as the world can be. Do y'all dig what I'm saying? That we, we should serve one another in love. And I don't know how many people, even as Christians, continue dating each other even though they don't like each other. I, it's weird. It's really weird. People are saying, well, I, I really don't like them, but they said that God told them we were going to get married, and so now I don't want to be outside of God's will. Dog, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. God has given you freedom. He's given you freedom of who you want to be with. So when it comes to dating, let's start off with this simple idea of don't be weird. Don't be weird. That's rule number one. Let's write that down, okay? Don't be weird. I, again, I've heard from people who've been raised in church and people who just gave their life to Christ, and it, it typically sounds weird. And I want you to just think for a moment. If you say it out loud and it sounds weird, stop! It might be really weird. And some, some ideas, if you say something like, what if they're the one? Okay, I know that's a really common saying even outside of Christianity, but I want you to just grasp for a moment that that's a lot of pressure to think that if I don't choose correctly, this is my one chance, and this, is, and this may be the one person I'm supposed to be with, and if it doesn't work out, then I'll be single the rest of my life. Just like I shared last week, I'll project to you that there's not the one, but whoever you marry becomes the one. That should be a lot of grace, a lot of freedom to know that you can choose who you want to be with. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. Another thing is God told me to date them. God told me to date her. God told me to date him. I've, I've heard stories personally conversating with, with people, and I'm talking about many times, not just one time, many times. Say, for an instance... A girl saying, I had a dream about the pastor's son, and now I know that I'm supposed to marry him. <laughs> it's like, girl, you need to chill out. <laughs> That's called fantasy. <laughs> That's fantasizing. And see, we'll have a dream, we'll have, an, uh, we'll have a thought, and it's, it is incredibly, especially when you involve our emotions, when you involve desire, it can be incredibly difficult to discern what is your desire and what is destiny. And so you must really accept the advice of others. 
because it is very incredibly rare. I'm not going to say that God won't ever do it, but it's very incredibly rare for God to tell you specifically that your destiny is to marry this one person in the world. And I know that for any romantics out there, it might sound like I'm being harsh. Even when I say that to my wife, she's like, how can you say that? But I'm telling you, God has given us free will. He's given us free will, and you choose who you want to marry. Don't be weird. Group dating is weird. Courting, that's weird. It, only texting each other, that's weird. It, you know how many relationships have been built off of just texting each other, and then whenever you're on the phone, it's like you can't even talk to that person. So many people do this, and because they're all suave on, the, on their text, on the message, it's like you, you, re-read it, you, you, know, you rewrote it so many times where it sounded just right, you put the perfect emoji there, the winky face, a heart, and it's like it comes across just perfect, but then you're on the phone and you're just like this goofball. And it's like, well, where's the suaveness there? I'll tell you that when you, if you're spending the majority of your time texting or sexting, whatever, that <laughs> you're going to create fantasy. And then people are typically disappointed when that fantasy doesn't live up. And, I, and I'm serious about the sexting part too. Is, is so often people will share images of themselves without really wanting to do that all the way. They're not wanting to do it physically. And all of a sudden they finally get to each other like, well, we've already seen each other naked. Let's get busy. And it's like, whoa, wait, what? I don't even know you yet. It's like, exactly. Because it was really weird for you to, to lead with that. Y'all dig what I'm saying? When we allow everything to just be done with the phone, it creates these weird fantasies in our head and they don't live out to a practical relationship. Now, the second, the second tip is don't use bad judgment. Easier said than done. What I'm really saying is stop being desperate. Stop being desperate. Whenever, you, did you know that when, you're, uh, when your pleasure sensors are increased, like when you're tempted, you, you have literally these sensors in your brain that increase. And whenever the, the pleasure sensors increase, your judgment sensors decrease. And that's why we will make bad decisions. It's like the idea of, I'm not going to eat donuts. I'm not going to eat cake. I'm not going to do that. And all of a sudden, you, you show up to work, and someone brought donuts. You're already predetermined that you're not going to do that. In front of you, you're like, well, it's just one donut. <laughs> it's not a big deal. It's just one. And then you eat it, and you're like, that was so much better than I remembered. <laughs> and you eat two, and you just, you just can't even help yourself. I'm, I'm talking from personal experience. But, see, it's the same way with, with being in a relationship. When you feel lonely, and you get desperate, and then you're around somebody that makes you feel desirable, that makes you feel wanted, your sensors get all flipped. And even if they treat you badly, you ignore it because you're desperate for that feeling of being wanted, of that feeling of being desired. And so you will use poor judgment to be with someone that is clearly toxic because it feels good to not be alone. Y'all feel, y'all looked all sad right now. <laughs> See, I started out funny, but then you're like, like wow. <laughs> so with, if we were to stop being desperate, 
you can understand that there's a lot more people out there. What happens is people get desperate and they think, I have to be with this one person because who else will want me? Think about this for a moment. There's the second king of Israel, or sorry, the third king of Israel was Solomon. And the Bible says that he had over a thousand wives and concubines in the, in the region of Israel. Have you ever seen, like on a map, Israel? That's an incredibly small place geographically. He found over a thousand people, thousand women that he, that he thought desirable enough to, to include into his household. And now, let me just get some jokes out of the way, okay? A lot, there's, I remember hearing like different guys are like, oh man, like if only it could be like that. That's a, that's not funny. That's a thousand mother-in-laws, okay? It, no wonder he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. It all makes sense now. See, y'all need, need to read Ecclesiastes. It will make more sense. But anyway, in the small geographical region, without any internet, without any uh, fast travel, he found a thousand people. That's crazy. I think that you, you have a shot at finding another person. <laughs> if you feel like they were the only ones, that you're desperate, that you're alone, I think that you're, you, you might have a shot. And San Antonio has 1.5 million people. Back then, is Israel had, when they did the census of David, he had, what, 600,000 people? I mean, there's a lot of people in the world. I'll just urge you, don't allow yourself to settle out of desperation and, and stay in a toxic or abusive relationship. Use good judgment. Number three, these are good, right? <laughs> they're like, they're kind of like common sense, but I feel like I need to hear it too. Be intentional. I would say stop being afraid of rejection. I would really project this to, um, to the guys. I, I feel like the best piece of advice I got was not expected. And I remember when I, when I, before I gave my life to Christ, I was going out with this girl. And she happened to be bisexual. Uh, and, and she had a girlfriend and me as a boyfriend, right? So a little, little trio there. But it, it, this has a point. There's a, there, I remember at that time of my life as being a young man, I thought that you're supposed to be overly, uh, overly romantic. And I, I want to be clear, not in like romantic romantic. I mean, talking about like weird romance, uh, that weird idea of romance to where, well, whatever you want to do. And it was just like, whatever you want to do is like the idea of being overly nice. Girls, y'all know what I'm talking about? Ladies, it's like overly nice, like always, always just giving you the option, just never making a decision themselves. And, and I was trying, I thought that that's what she wanted, right? I thought that that's what the girl wanted. And I hear a lot of Christian guys, especially today, say, say things like, well, they don't want a nice guy, right? Like they don't want the nice guy. Well, this is for anyone, and you don't have to raise your hand, but anyone who's ever thought that, this is what she told me. And it's probably the best advice I ever got. She said, I already have a girlfriend. I don't need another one. <laughs> what? Now, look. That was, I want to be clear in what I'm saying. It, it showed me that there's a, there's a role of being a person, of being intentional, of being a man or the woman. And I would say that when it comes to being intentional, Look for someone that you actually want to date and, and don't allow rejection or the fear of rejection to stop you from just being bold. 
from, from saying what you want to say. So many relationships are, are brewing, meaning like they're, they're going to be toxic. They're not toxic yet, but they're waiting to be toxic because neither one of the people want to be intentional or clear in what they actually want. They, they let everything be beneath the surface. And because neither one are intentional, one day it just all blows up with this toxic mess. Be intentional and choose you want to date. Stop letting fear hold you back in a relationship. And, and especially if you're timid of asking someone out, I would, I'd say I think you might be surprised at their, their response to you. Now, we're almost done with these tips. Next is be clear. Make it as clear as possible of what you want and what you are doing because clarity counters confusion. And I would say clarity, clarity, clarity. Be clear if you want to date someone and be clear if you don't want to date someone. So often Christians will be weird in the sense of trying to be nice. And I, I, I feel like we've had to counsel a lot of people that were confused of whether or not someone liked them back. And within dialogue and discussion, it would be revealed that there was an initial like, well, I I'm not really ready for a relationship, right? You ever hear one of those? Kind of just got triggered. Well, I'm not really ready. I'm, I'm focusing on God right now. And so instead of saying, no, I'm not interested in you, people will say all of these more polite things to say to where at the end of the day, if someone they actually liked asked them out, they'd be like, let's go right now. Let's go to Denny's, right, Terry? <laughs> Terry's the only person keeping Denny's open. <laughs> I'm just joking. Jake, too. I called him the other day. He's like, I'm going to Denny's. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but if it's a no, be clear with the no. If you like someone, be clear about it, or you're going to constantly feel frustrated being the best friend that, that, was, that they never realized was actually into them. Be clear. And the only thing that's holding you back from being clear is that fear. The fear of rejection. The fear of hurting their feelings. And at the end of the day, you could be clear and gentle at the same time. But being clear is a must. And I would go as far as to say is that you have to be clear multiple times. Like, especially if it's a no. Sometimes you're like, I'm just not, uh, you know, maybe not right now. Or I'm not interested in you. And sometimes that's just not clear enough to where people will think, well, maybe they're just not interested in me right now. And it'll continue to try to keep you as like, kind of like a, a side friend that's like, almost like kind of like a, like a little ninja. Like, like just kind of get close to you more often to where it's like just secretly closer and closer to you. And the reason that if you're not clear, you're, you end up indirectly leading someone on by not being clear with a no multiple times. Y'all dig what I'm saying? It, you have to be clear because you help other people to move on and you're able to move on. Um, and the same is with when you're wanting to be with someone. Now, we're almost done with this list. Communicate expectations. There's things that shouldn't have to be said but still need to be said. Holding back your emotional disappointments can only last for so long. We have these unspoken expectations in relationships, within dating. And I don't know how many times people have said, well, once we get married, it will be different. Right? 
Well, once we get married, they won't act that way. It, it, I don't like it now, but when we get married, they'll probably stop. You, that is, a, that is an unspoken expectation that will turn into bitterness if it's not clearly communicated. Because so many relationships have these, these hidden expectations. They get married, and you're able to suppress your emotions for so long. You're able to hold back disappointments for so long. But th- it, it could be months, it could be years, but all of a sudden, three years into it, and you're like, you know what? I don't like this about you. <laughs> and they're like, you've never mentioned this before. You always do this! <laughs> it's like, this catches me by surprise. <laughs> because the expectation was left hidden, was never clear, and it becomes this huge fight that could have been avoided it was like, if you would have told him at the beginning, it was like, I really don't like it when you, when you say things like this. It makes me feel like you're making fun of me. It makes me feel like you, you don't appreciate me. And it's like little things like that to where the other person was like, oh, no, not at all. I won't talk like that anymore. It's like it could be resolved so quickly if you communicate expectations. Now, the last tip I want to give is allow grace for singleness. Allow grace for singleness. People can easily search for happiness through other people. We often search for happiness through other people. And I would project that maybe instead of being desperate to date, that you need to find inner contentment first. And I'm not telling anyone to break up or anything. What I'm saying is, if you're in this place where you're searching for happiness through someone else, that perhaps you need to find that contentment within your inner self, especially when it comes to your relationship with God. A lot of new believers uh, either want to do one or two things. They either want to date and get married right away so they can have a license to have sex, or they, they want to work on their relationship with God and have a time of singleness. And I, I, would, I would really urge you that Finding out who, like really, when you become a Christian, you become this new creation. You're, 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 what is important to you changes. Your values change. And rather than just moving on with life as business as usual, maybe you should just take some time to learn what kind of person you really are at, in Christ. And I, I would say that for me, it, that was like one thing that really helped me a lot. I took two and a half years of singleness and... Uh, I feel like that time really helped me to solidify my walk with God to where I wasn't just uh, like a a Christian for nine months and then went back to doing what I was doing after getting broken up with. But I was able to to really give a firm foundation of my faith. And I was also able to focus on what kind of man I wanted to be as a husband. I took like six months. I would read a, a, a... a masculine character building book, masculine Christian character building book every month. I'd read a new book because I was just trying to like get any kind of qualities that I would read in this book. And I'm like, that's the kind of man I would want to be. And, and I would try to see how I could really find myself in this process of, of building myself up before bringing somebody else into my life. And I, I want to be clear in that I'm not saying that you have to have everything together before you get married, but I think that it, it, having that grace to just learn about yourself as a new Christian is meaningful. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And 
you'll be able to decide what kind of person you want to be and also what kind of person you want your future spouse to be uh, that you want to include in your life when you have this time to think about it. Let, let some of the dust settle in your, in your relationship life. And even for my wife, before she met me, she had a really toxic relationship. And after that, she was like, you know what, I need to figure things out. And she decided what kind of woman she wanted to be. And she wrote down a list of what kind of man she wanted. And let me tell you, that was an extensive list. <laughs> and I barely made the cut. <laughs> and because she was able to have that time of singleness, think about who she wanted, she was able to avoid more toxicity in her relationships. She, whenever the, the, the wrong person came around, she had the inner strength to say no because she knew what she wanted. Y'all feel that? Now, I know that I, I've discouraged y'all too much with all these tips. I want to I wanna just say what you should know. I was just joking. Y'all are supposed to be like, no, I was super encouraged. I feel so enlightened and illuminated. Let's look at what you should know. You have who you want to be with. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So Christ has truly said,
don't continue to change your your the, your uh, your expectations to change what is right and wrong for you just based off of how you feel that day, of how desperate you feel that day. Let what's right be right, what's wrong be wrong, and stick to it. Know that God gives you a choice, and whoever you marry is the one for you. It's a big decision, and that whoever you end up deciding, don't let the devil come in your mind and after you get married and start making you think, well, maybe they weren't this special one. Whoever you marry becomes one. And let me make it clear, just like I did last week, um, the Bible also says, however you come to Christ, let that be how you stay in Christ. If you're married, stay married. If you're divorced, stay divorced. He says if you were, uh, if you were circumcised, you wouldn't try to reverse the circumcision. It, he says, however you come to Christ, just let it be a fresh start. And so uh, in the same way as I'm talking about this, don't start getting all confused about your past or your history. Just let's start fresh. That's what the Bible tells us to do. And finally, on this part, know that your relationship honors God. Your relationship honors God. Everything that we do should be to honor God in our lives because he lives in us and through us. And even in our relationships, they have monumental impacts in our lives, and even in our family's lives. Think about this for a moment. When you marry someone, if they end up being this toxic person for you, they also become a toxic person for your family. They also become a toxic person to your children. And, and so when, you, when you're going into it, you must consider as not, it's so much beyond how you feel, but it's going to affect everybody that's close to you. It, it's a big deal. And now reverse it. When you honor someone that is godly, your relationship honors God together, then it blesses all of your family. It blesses your children. It blesses your extended family because of the godly relationship you're able to have. You're able to honor God in your relationship. That leads me to the last point, which is surrendering faith. Surrendering faith. If you're not talking about faith in the beginning, it won't be in your life later. If you're not talking about faith in the beginning, it won't be in your life later. You either surrender relationships to your faith, or you surrender your faith to your relationships. It's simply how it goes. And I feel like uh, this is no shame, right? But nine times out of ten, whenever someone stops coming to church... It's typically because they started dating someone new. <laughs> it, it's like, it's without fail. It's always because they start dating someone new. And they're timid with their faith, and they hold it on the back burner because they like the person so much. And they try to wait on their faith for the relationship. And then months later, years later, they'll reach out and say, I'm just so in such a bad place in my life right now. I'm not saying always, but a lot of times. I'm in such a bad place in my life right now. I need God in my life, but I don't know how. They don't want to go to church. It makes me feel like I can't go to church. And they're in this, like, stuck place. If, if, if faith is not at the beginning of a relationship, it's not going to be in your life later. And you won't come back to faith until you're incredibly desperate for God to make a change in your life. You know, uh, the only moment, the only moment that you're unequally yoked with somebody is at the beginning of a relationship. That's a really popular phrase within Christian cultures, is being unequally yoked with someone. And it comes from this. It says 
16 says, Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. Again, this is Paul saying, this is my advice to you. He's saying it's not a command from God, but this is my, my relationship advice from Paul. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him for the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, and now they are holy. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other. For God has called you to live in peace. Don't you, wives, realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you, husbands, realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Now, I want to I make this clear. What Paul is saying is when you're with someone, and he's saying if you become a believer, you're already married with each other. He says, don't just leave them because uh, you're a believer and they don't want to be a believer now. Because your holiness in the marriage, the relationship, may inspire them into the faith. And that you, being even, uh, even with different faith together, that you still bring holiness in this nuclear family to your children. That you, you give something special to your kids. But notice that Paul, he says that if they want to leave you, let them leave. God wants you to be, God has called you to live in peace. And so what's really interesting about this scripture, and if, I, I feel like this is not popularly, uh, popular, uh, popularly taught, is that Paul is literally implying that the differences of your faith will often lead to divorce. Literally says that the difference of your faith will most likely lead to divorce. That is what he's saying in this verse because of the lack of peace that comes from it. Think about any... Any relationship that's meaningful, when it feels the best is when y'all are at peace with each other. When it feels like a living hell is when you don't have that peace. And Paul says, God, God has called you to live in peace. He wants us to live in peace. And that because of our desperation, our desperation causes us to do things out of character for a moment of fear mixed with desire. We end up choosing the wrong, I don't want to say the wrong people, we end up choosing people that don't have the, the same beliefs as us, that don't have the same level of faith as us, because we're desperate and we desire to be with somebody. And we think, well, once we get married, they'll start going to church with me. It's just very not likely. It's just not likely. Paul's literally saying, you'll most likely get divorced, just because of the difference in faith. And so he's saying faith is so meaningful, so important, that it should be at the very beginning of the relationship. And if you allow to not be, they will pull you away from your faith, most likely. You will not go to church because that peace, the lack of peace in your life, is so overwhelming that it's easier to just not go to church without, if you're able to avoid a fight. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And so make it a priority at the beginning. Let God be the most important thing in your life. And everything else will fall in place. Does, does Jesus not say, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you? I believe even with your relationships, with your dating, anything meaningful, if you put God first, the other 
things will click into place. Now let's take a moment to bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here, and at some point during this message, you feel like the Holy Spirit is just, just speaking to you. And maybe the, the most monumental point was even at the end about, about making God the most important thing in your life. And you're realizing that he's never even been a, a part of your decision making. He's always been in the background, but he's never been at the forefront. And you're realizing that you've never even made a decision for Christ in your life. You've never made a clear decision in which you put your trust in Jesus. And you, you feel this tug on your heart like you need to do that today. If that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. So just there, right to yourself, I want you to have your own conversation with Jesus. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely he shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you have a genuine heart and talk to him yourself, Acknowledge who he is, the Son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's all it takes to start this journey with him, this relationship with him. It's not about having this, this list of rules of religion. It's about having a genuine relationship with your creator. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can start that relationship on your own by simply talking to him right now. While they're doing that, for the rest of you, if you're here and you feel like this is what you need to do here today. You feel like you've even been at a crossroads and you've been kind of confused and you feel like the Holy Spirit is just telling you what you need to hear. And, and this message was just spot on for you. With every head still bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. See all your hands. So now I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you finish what you started in each person's life. I pray that your presence would be upon the people here today and that your, uh, your guidance and even your prophetic word would make their ears and hearts sensitive to you. And that you would just help them in navigating their next step. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in the same the same attitude of, of prayer, I want us to go into a time of worship. And before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part of your life.